Our salvation is a work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and so we give glory to you for it this morning, our triune God, Father, who has planned from all eternity for our salvation, the Son who you have sent to accomplish our salvation, to die in our place, to purchase us, to take the curse of sin and death from us as he took it on himself, and the Spirit whom Jesus sent to regenerate us, to open our eyes, to see and to believe the promises of God in the word. Father, we do pray this morning that you would flower every promise of your word that we read in scripture. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We'll open with me in your copy of God's word to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We'll just read a verse there and then we'll head to Genesis where we'll spend, of course, most of our time this morning. Welcome back, ladies, from your retreat. I hear that you had a lovely time with Hannah Anderson, uh, learning the scriptures and meditating on biblical discernment. And youth, you were on your own retreat in Charleston a week ago at this time. Welcome back to you. Retreats are, for me, uh, an occasion of growing in my faith, and I pray that you have grown in yours, uh, each of you. Well, the subject of faith comes to mind when we think about Noah and the ark, Maybe you've had trouble believing it happened because the events seem fantastical. Maybe you have a hard time believing that it happened because the judgment around the ark seems too harsh. Maybe you've had trouble believing it happened because you've been told by a spiritual leader you don't need to believe it. Or maybe you've had trouble believing it because a Christian leader has inadvertently communicated that it's the only thing you need to believe. More concerned maybe with geology than the theology of it, the fact of it, than its wonderful meaning. And maybe you've had trouble believing it because it doesn't seem to connect to your life, your trials. If God can rescue Noah, where is he now? Which gets us a little bit closer to the trouble the Israelites faced, that first generation who received this story inscripturated through Moses. And it's formed this first time. If God is God, then where is he when hell cuts loose and hell had cut loose on on them? Well, let Noah's faith inspire us all this morning. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household, And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Well, this morning we're not going to wonder whether or not this happened. We're going to watch it happen and then wonder at God's message to us through it. You can turn now to the book of Genesis, chapter 6. Genesis, the first book in your Bible, chapter 6. As we watch this story unfold, our goal is not merely to meet Noah and believe the story of Noah, but to meet Noah's God and to believe his every promise. Genesis chapter 6, we'll read now from verse 9 through verse 22. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was 
filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark on its side. Make it with a lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that's on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come with you unto the ark to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Well, here begins the account of that time when, when, when the Lord rebooted the earth. There are two broad movements in this story, which spans an entire three chapters. A movement up and a movement down. A movement up in judgment as the waters rise and swallow up all life in the earth, taking us back to the pre-creation days. And the movement down as the waters recede, revealing a new creation. A movement up in judgment, a movement down in salvation. In Genesis 1, we met the Lord of creation. Then in Genesis 6 and 7, we meet the Lord of decreation. And in Genesis 8 through 9, we meet the Lord of recreation. First, we meet the Lord of decreation. In chapters 6 through 7, our movement from the ground to the top of the world, as we'll see, happens in five stages. In 6, 9 through 12, the Lord inspects his creation. We'll walk through each of these stages together. Last week, we met a lot of characters, at least in name only. We had had two genealogies that we read, many obscure names, lots of kids. The earth was filling up with people. And chapter 6 began by telling us that mankind was multiplying on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply, just as God had intended. And as the earth fills up with people, it was filling up with other things as well. It was filling up with technology as humankind, made in God's image, was given a capacity to explore and exercise dominion over the earth. We were finding metals and developing tools and all the rest. It was filling up with farms as we were handling animals and it was filling up with music and instruments and the arts we were given even a little a little uh, indication of where the epicenters of those developments took place but it was also filling up with something else after genesis 3 did you catch it the earth was corrupt in god's sight and the earth was filled filled with violence 
It's not a good inspection. This is a failed inspection. And it's worse than it sounds. And we think of violence, we think of violence man on man. But violence against man is violence against the image of God in man. Abel's blood cried out to God and God takes every act of violence on a human being as a personal offense. And he won't stand by and watch. This is a reminder of where we ended last week. We traced the descent and the spread of sin throughout the world, bringing us right to the edge, what we call the last straw. Chapter 6, verse 5, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, total depravity, every internal depravity, thoughts and intentions of the heart, unrelenting depravity, only evil continually. If we saw a hint in only the second generation from Cain, from Adam and Eve, and Lamech and his leadership, he had taken two wives, and he was singing to them a taunt song of his murder of a young man who merely wounded him. Imagine a whole society or a world built on that kind of God-defying, proud lawlessness. Imagine a world without police or pedophile stings without any reason to be afraid of where our sin might take us. And don't just be afraid of the people out there, be afraid of yourself. The whole earth was filled with violence, but one man, Noah. Unrelenting, total internal depravity, evil continually only. When God looked at the earth, he saw into every thought and intent of the heart. Let that sink in. That's what God saw when he looked at the earth. What did God say then? Verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The inspection of the earth now leads to a condemnation of the earth. While every thought and intention of the heart of man is rebellion, every thought and intention of God's heart is to bless. And it won't happen in this generation. Since he cannot bless us in our rebellion, he will blot us out, save one man. The world is now scheduled for demolition. And how will he do it? More importantly, how would he keep his promise to crush the serpent's head that he made in Genesis chapter 3? Is he giving in by wiping out the earth? And what about Noah? And what about his wife and three sons? Well, God has more to say than a word of condemnation. And that's why even next, he's already on to a word of preparation. Noah gets thorough, even if rough, blueprints for a storm shelter, a mobile storm shelter built just for this occasion. We've already reviewed those in our initial reading. In short, Noah built a boat and stock it with life and food. The project, if we do the math, would take Noah somewhere between 70 and 120 years to construct. He would have to engineer the boat. He would have to procure the materials. He would gather two of every kind of animal. This doesn't likely refer to species, more like genus or family. And no doubt God was superintending a number of things surrounding Noah's work. But it was a big work, a monumental task, including incredible human exertion. He will preach to his own generation, the New Testament will tell us, the whole time. He will do all of this when the sun is up and when people are eating and marrying and when they are merry and everything seems just fine. 
when all seems well, when God seems unattending, even unreal to the hardened human heart. No one will respond to Noah's preaching. This is the patience of God in Noah's day. He gave the earth plenty of time and a word through a man. No one will respond. Noah will be a fool in his generation, but God was preparing more than a boat. He was preparing the world for judgment. And he is often patient in this way. And if you are not dead yet and not believing and under his word right now, he is patient with you to turn to him. And maybe you will this morning. Inspection, condemnation, preparation, now evacuation. Chapter 7 walks us through the evacuation of eight persons and many animals. I've often read this chapter, and even in preparing this sermon, read this chapter and thought, why, why a whole chapter on this? Why a whole chapter on this? Three paragraphs that circle around to the same events, but in different ways. You know, they get on the boat, the rain falls, the flood comes, all of this. But let us remember that storytelling is not about efficiency. It's not about efficiency. It's about effect. So feel the effect with me. Three paragraphs and three camera angles for a kind of slow motion day of entry. Watch the water drops fall, movement onto the ark. Let's point at a few places here. Chapter 7, verse 1. Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. It had been about a hundred years since Noah had heard from God. He was obedient, and now he gets the order. Go in. He tells him what to take. He walks through the sequence again. He's to take a pair of certain animals, but seven pairs of other animals. We'll find out why in a bit. In seven days, the Lord says, this is an urgent command to go into the boat. It's been a hundred years. Seven days isn't much at that point, and yet they will sit there for seven days, sun up and wait. Verse five, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Now, verse six, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of the waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And with them the animals, verse 9, as the Lord commanded Noah. And after seven days, the water of the flood came upon the earth. It would come, now it has come. And again, verses 11 through 16, we get a clip of the very movement of the very first drop that fell from the sky in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And again, verse 16, and those that entered male and female went in as God commanded him, as God commanded him, as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The door is closed. The evacuation is complete. The storm shelter is sealed. The Lord has sealed it. The world is now ready. After a hundred years of preaching and watching this man build a boat, the world is now ready for destruction. And the Lord is the only one with the codes. There aren't like two people with the nuclear codes and the other one doesn't know. Or two keys. The Lord can be trusted. It's the Lord's earth. 
There's no backup. There's no check on his authority. He punches them in, and the doors open. Now, watch with me the waters rise. Verse 17, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up on the ark and rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Free solo climber Alex Hanald. You may have followed him. There's a new documentary out on him. He may be... Uh, he may win an Oscar for it. Uh, scaled the 3,000-foot face of Al Capitan in Yosemite. It had never been done. Uh, we should pray no one tries to do it again. Thank God he's alive. It took him three hours and 56 minutes. Every human on earth had 100 years or as long as they lived until the rain came. And the most experienced climbers without free soloing, with all the gear and technology, could not have made it to the top of the highest peak and lived. There is nowhere to hide. The world is under the waters of God's judgment. When the world sees natural disaster, we usually count or approximate deaths. Well, here it makes sense to count survivors, verse 21. All flesh died. Everything on the dry ground, dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. The New Testament twice will put a number to it. Eight. Once, Noah plus seven. Exactly eight human beings. No more violence. No more screaming or rage, only silence. The sound of rain. Outside the boat, there are no more screams. There are no survivors. But if you listen very closely, you'll hear something. If you zoom way, 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 way in, right on top of the earth, a speck, a speck of gopher wood, 300 cubits of gopher wood, it's about a a football field and a half, and inside it, one man and his family and these animals. Calls to mind that seed bank apparently we have in the Antarctic. If there's a nuclear holocaust and someone can get up there, we got ourselves some plants. Well, here is the seed bank for God's judgment and the restart of his earth. Here we have reached the top of the earth but also the exact middle of Noah's story. Remember I said there's a movement up and a movement down. We can follow the water and see that. But actually the way the story is constructed, there's about 20 points of symmetry that leads you right to chapter 8, verse 1. You may be familiar with chiasms. Uh, you may be annoyed with chiasms. They're near impossible to see for English readers. Um, the Hebrew commentators help us with this. So in this case, I'll draw your attention to it. The whole three chapters work like this with a mirror image. 
all the way to 8 verse 1. What does it say? But God remembered Noah. But God remembered Noah. And in those four words, we have, friends, all of the resources that you and I need for life in this world to face all of our trials. And every reason to want to believe, to need to believe that if any of the Bible is true, this is true. Friends, a resurrection from the dead is harder to believe than this story. But we believe it. Well, if the Lord remembered Noah, hear these words from Peter to first century Christians. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He is a competent rescuer. And so as we sit atop the earth right now and we, we stare at Noah's ark, and we remember that the Lord remembered Noah, let us see that God is competent to rescue his own. He sees you, and he is able to rescue you. And when he does save, when he does rescue, he is competent to rescue completely. Here are Peter's words to first century Christians in his first letter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us all the way to God, He takes us safely through the waters of judgment, not through an ark of gopher wood, but through death itself, but through the vessel of his own body, which was put to death, Peter says, and made alive, so that when we are with him, we pass through the waters of judgment. And this is how Peter can say this, that God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal from, of dirt from the body, in other words, not the water, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so the sign of baptism, as it is a, a sign, a dramatization, a picture of what has happened when we're joined to Jesus by faith, pictures that violent entrance into the ground in death with Jesus and that yank up from the grave into new life. Joined to Jesus, those with Jesus, as he passes through the waters of judgment, as we picture our passage through the waters of judgment and baptism, we come up the other side alive because he was raised from the dead. And how complete is Jesus' defeat of God's judgment in death? Jesus, who has gone into heaven all the way up there and is at the right hand of God with angels, with authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So as we see Noah set atop of the earth, we remember that God is competent to rescue his people and that when he does, he does so completely. And that the story that we have of judgment and of salvation, which we'll see in a moment, through the ark, is nothing. It is nothing compared to the judgment to come. Be warned. And it is nothing compared to the salvation that God brings through Jesus, who is at the right hand of God, with everything subjected to him. Take comfort. And get on the ark while there is time, if you're not with us yet. 
joined to Jesus by faith. Let's go back to the ark. The world covered in water like it was in Genesis 1.1. Remember these words? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. That is, the earth before those days of ordering, forming, and filling began was a watery chaos over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters ready to move. Well, with Noah, we have met the God of decreation. He has brought us back to a watery chaos. And now, in chapters 8 through 9, we meet the Lord of recreation. The Lord has filled up the earth with water, and now he pulls the drain. And our movement upward now becomes a movement downward as judgment moves to salvation. In chapter 8, the Lord reveals his new creation. He reveals his new creation as the Spirit hovered over the waters at creation. Now, 8 verse 1, God made a wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. And if that feels like a forced connection, the word for spirit and the word for wind are exactly the same word. The Hebrew listener from chapter 1 to chapter 8 would see everything get reset, and then he and she would see the Spirit of God blowing over the waters. As the Lord separated the waters from the sky, and as the Lord separated the earth from the land, so now we slowly watch the waters run away. The sky stops the rain and the land and the sea are separated. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, it says. The rain from the heavens restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. A constant movement. A constant movement. Notice all the time markers. Salvation is certain, but the descent back to earth is patient. Verse 3. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day, the month of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountain of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And verse 6, at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. Sometimes a conversation with one of you in the hour before the sermon provides me with a little material. And I got this text from Christy at 9.06. I'm so happy this morning. I'll be honest, most texts don't begin that way. <laughs> it's usually logistics, and it's not a good day. Uh, probably both ways. I'm so happy this morning, and it's because the sun is out. Imagine how happy Noah would have been after 40 days of rain and finally seeing the sun. I really dislike cloudy, rainy weather. I already knew that. The sun is up. Well, as the Lord separated the waters from the sky, he has now separated the land from the sea, and the sun is up, and he opens the windows as God has shut the windows of heaven and he lets out a raven he'll do that again twice with a dove this is taking time he goes back in he comes back out he'll wait and wait he'll do it again and wait then that dove will return with an olive leaf and he'll wait again and then that when that dove doesn't return he'll know he'll know it's time 
Genesis 8.13, in the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters dried from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Redundancy for a slow motion kind of picture so we don't miss it. The earth was covered in water 15 cubits above the mountains, and now it is all dried out. The last time the Lord spoke to Noah, he said, go in. And now in verse 16, he says, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Apparently, they didn't kill each other. They're all still married. Verse 18, Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast Every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. The Lord has revealed his new creation. And here they are on the ground. Now in chapter 9, the Lord reveals his new Adam. As God blessed Adam, so now he blesses Noah. 9 verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them. He As he commissioned Adam, so now he commissions Noah. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And as God gave everything to Adam, he gives everything to Noah. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you you everything. Could this be the son of the woman that was promised to undo the curse? Seems it so far. Well, how will it go? Will Noah and this new start devolve into the old situation? There are some good indicators initially that it won't. The Lord has preserved a righteous man who obeyed him, obeyed him, obeyed him, and kept all that God commanded, a man who walked with God even in those hundred years. And now God is still speaking to him and is giving him Adam's original commission. Reset. We're back to where we were, right? The first thing Noah did after he stepped foot on ground was build an altar and offer sacrifices to God. That's what those extra animals were for. And Noah obeyed, 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 as we've said. But we get a few indications that things are not as they originally were in the garden. Verse 2 of chapter 9 tells us that the animals will fear Noah and humankind. That wasn't the original situation so far as we could tell. And in verses 5 through 6, we get a requirement of death for the violence of murder, an indication that God expects, down Noah's line, for murder to characterize, to some extent, the human experience. Will we see endless cycles of violence leading to God's total judgment then? No. Well, why not? Would it not get so bad? Maybe it would get so bad, but God would let it go. No, yes, it will get bad, and no, God will not let it go. How he'll manage to bless humanity in the way that he originally purposed remains to be seen. But for now, we have this promise in verse 8, excuse me, 9. Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and every living creature that is with you, the birds, livestock, every beast of the earth that's with you, 
As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall a flesh be cut, all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And by this, we shouldn't take it to mean, I won't do it with a flood, but I'll do it just like that. But using something else, I'll use fire. It means he won't use the earth to destroy the earth in the way that he had done. He won't respond to the same situation in the way that he had responded here. What is a covenant? A covenant is a relationship that is founded on certain promises. Closest thing in our own experience would be the covenant of marriage. Uh, Who is this covenant with? It is a covenant with Noah. He's speaking to Noah, but he says, with you and your offspring, everyone from Noah. But then he says, and every living thing and all the earth and all the creatures of the earth. That's curious. If you follow the covenant story of the Bible, you don't you don't have covenants with all of creation. Here you have a covenant that is with Noah and, and every, everything in creation. What does this mean? Well, two things. First, it means God remains committed to the entire creation and his purposes for creation at the center of which is humanity. Let me offer a nerd point, but it's important. The word establish here, when God says, I will establish my covenant with you, is better translated strengthened. This isn't a disputed point in the commentaries. Established doesn't hit our ears the right way. Better translated, strengthened, we could say reinforced, restated. It assumes a prior commitment and relationship. When a covenant is made, initially, the word cut is used. I will cut a covenant. I think it's translated later, for example, with Abraham, make a covenant to cut a covenant and what that mean that what that means to cut a covenant will become clear that's a that's an image that will become clear later in later in genesis so when a covenant is begun or started a new kind of relationship covenant he cuts a covenant but when one is already when one already exists he establishes it strengthens it reinforces it This is to say that God's original creation purposes will continue. And this is why God speaks to Noah in the same terms that he spoke to Adam. And why he gives the earth to Noah as he gave the earth to Adam. Which is why we're speaking in terms of a decreation and a, a new creation, a restart. So first, it means God remains committed to his original creation purposes. The covenant with Noah is an extension of, a reinforcement of God's commitment to his creation. Second, we are still under this covenant. The commitment not to destroy the earth with the earth is why evil persists as it does to this day. Where is God when hell breaks loose? Well, he restrains much evil. But that's the question the Israelites were asking. And that's the question that we often ask. Where is he? Well, he is patiently waiting for the day when he won't destroy the earth with the earth, but the day when he will personally burn the whole thing up and make a complete and truly purified new creation. Only after he has made his salvation way possible so that he can keep his promise in Genesis 3 to crush the head of the serpent and turn back the curse and rescue his people 
and do justice to sin. And so we're still under it. The wicked grow up with the righteous all at the same time. Where is God when evil is unleashed? Well, he is patiently waiting for the day when he deals with it finally, but he is not interrupting the flow of the story continually with a reset of this sort. Remember Noah. Remember Noah. And for help in that, God has given us the rainbow. He's given us a sign. Covenants usually come with a covenant sign. And that sign communicates something as a sign of the reality of the covenant promise. It's interesting that in Hebrew, there is no actual word for rainbow. There's just a word for bow. And the word for bow refers to an archer's bow. When in Ezekiel, there's a reference to rainbow, it refers to the bow, the archer's bow, that is in the clouds. Well, here is God's bow, and he has hung it up. He will not judge the earth in this fashion again. He has laid down his weapon. His bow is in the sky, and a reminder to us of his patience and his commitment to us. This isn't God saying, you're on your own. I won't judge the world. We'll let hell unleash. No, this is God saying he is committed to bless humanity, but he will do it by way of another route. There is more to the story, thank God. The God who made us is determined to bless us. The boat has landed, so let's land the sermon. We have another level to make in our descent, actually. Chapter 9, verse 20, fast forward a few years, Noah has survived and so did something else. We've seen Noah walk with God. We've seen Noah build and then board the boat. We've seen Noah worship God at the altar and now we see Noah in a tent. Where is he and what is he doing there? Verse 20, Noah began to become a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and became drunk and he lay uncovered in his tent. Apparently the pressure was off. He was no longer surrounded with the, the, the terror of his own evil age. He's surrounded only now with familiar family and he has let his guard down. The movement upward led to a movement down and now down farther still into the ground so that our chapter ends in 9 verse 28. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Another Adam returns to the dust. We will need, apparently, another more righteous, obedient Adam. The virus of sin and death came off the boat with him. So here's God's message for you and me. The Lord remembered Noah. And if the Lord remembered Noah, joined to Christ How much more does he remember you and me? His apparent failure to immediately judge the worst of the wickedness in our age is no sign that he is disinterested. It is a sign of his incredible, incredible patience. I hope you believe all of this just as Noah did by faith. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for slow Old Testament stories. We give you thanks for stories that take three chapters to tell, stories that circle around to the same 
instances so that we could watch the rain fall from the sky and hit the ground and then fill up the earth. And we consider how patient Noah was, but even more so how patient you are. And we give you thanks that your patience, your patience expressed in, in a placing of your bow up in the, the sky has meant there was time for us, us, not only to be born, but to, but to believe. And we give you thanks for that. Father, we pray that as we consider Noah's faith, that you would make us men and women of faith, that our, that our church would be a church that is unflinchingly committed to the reality of your great and future and terrifying judgment. And all the more for that reason committed to believing and heralding and rejoicing in and pleading with men and women to trust in that glorious future salvation of which this story we've seen is only a hint. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.